Welcome to Ace Comicals episode 117, and uh, it's me and Leon. Yes, it is. Uh, yes, and um, yeah, so we're back with a bunch more comics to discuss, um, but this time we're going to open it with the things that we wanted to talk about last time, but didn't get to because we had too much to get through, which was the latest offerings from the DCEU and the MCU, so... Both of us checked these out, and we're talking about Black Widow and Suicide Squad. Um, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, let's start chronologically. Let's start with Black Widow. Black Widow. I mean, the first thing I've got written down here in front of me for my notes from Black Widow. I mean, it, it's a great film. It's the the the, the Black Widow like. Um, so it's Black Widow's sort of like first solo outing in the MCU, which is long overdue. They should have made these back in uh, phase two. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I feel like this is something that's like long overdue and also a little bit rushed together and chucked out, just like here have it kind of thing. It didn't really live up to the hype or do what I wanted it to do. And I don't know if you feel that way about it as well. Yeah, I feel quite similar. Like, I'm quite open with these films in the sense that, especially where we are after the Infinity War and Endgame saga, I'm happy for these films to do their own thing and be quite fun. And I enjoy how much this movie is inspired by things like Mission Impossible and stuff like that. And... I like all the actors in it. I think they're really good. Um, really leaning in and enjoying sort of the wildness and weirdness of the MCU. And I mm. think that the movie starts quite strong in the suburbs. I, w- I won't go into any spoilers or anything, but I think that yeah. the pre-title sequence and the title sequence are really good and uh, in in some ways were quite... Not shocking to me, but surprising. I was like, "Oh wow, they're yeah. they're, they're going here. This is this has mm. got some dark imagery," and like overall, I, I like the film. It is what I would refer to as like a mid tier Marvel, where it's like, yeah, you you go in there, you, you eat your popcorn, and you have fun. Uh, I don't know how rewatchable it is. I mean, the thing one of the strengths of the MCU is that for the most part, they're very watchable movies. And I mean that in a positive sense, but also in a pejorative sense, where I, apart from a handful of movies, I was a lot quite lukewarm on some of these films to begin with as we, we yeah. were rolling out. And it the thing that sort of pulled me in was that these movies are great to put on in the background after you've seen already while you're in like a social function or whatever and you look at the TV and you enjoy the action scene or laugh at the quips and stuff. And they're like comfort food. That's what they're really good for. That's precisely what I was going to say. Like, I will never say no to anyone who's going to put on a Marvel film, not because I, I necessarily adore these movies i mean i think i think they're fun films but i'll never say no if someone wants to put one on because i'll be like yeah sure that's easy watching yeah i can i can rest my eyes to a marvel film yeah and not 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 rest my eyes in the fall asleep sense but rest my eyes in the sense that i can switch off a little bit and enjoy it exactly yeah and because they generally have they get really good actors for these things the writing is usually fairly decent and the action's passable 
it's enough to pull you through it like the off uh, maligned Scorsese said they are like the theme parks they're roller coasters but I don't think that should be taken in a, an extremely negative sense tell that to Twitter yeah yeah but like um, <laughs> despite all that what separates this one from some of my favourites in the MCU is that this is in some ways it's quite pedestrian like it has a really good setup in that it it could it could have been like Winter Soldier level where like very few people have powers in Winter Soldier so it felt a lot more gritty and um like like it's offset it's like a 70s conspiracy thriller even though it's really not it's still quite a big action movie but it it every, the hits you feel the hits and the action is, is a bit crunchier and I think it's more terrestrial just people walking around not beams in skies and this has elements of that and when it's working it's working but ultimately the best stuff is when it's just characters like gabbing with each other which I guess you could say about the whole MCU but I feel like like you said this movie should have come earlier but also I feel at this point Marvel should just be more willing to do some more wild things and I think it could have just been its own thing a bit more because for me I don't want it to be like mediocre I don't I don't want any movie to be mediocre but I don't want it to be like a thing where I'm like yeah I don't want to ever be eh to anything I'd rather heavily dislike a thing than be eh to it obviously I'd Mm. mostly like to really like a thing and I wish that with all these shackles off them and like is obviously Black Widow is dead in the MCU timeline. I feel like they could have used this movie to be a bit more experimental because they don't need to worry about sequels really. Yeah. Like they could just uh, go, go off a bit more and mm. I, I wish, I wish they had done. But if that said, it, it was, it was a perfectly fine movie and I will watch it again. But yeah. I, I, it does feel like in that sort of mid lower tier uh, to yeah. me. Thor two kind of. Oh yeah, oh, not not that bad, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, in, <laughs> you see, in that that's, part of, in that part that's of where, the. Um, that's where we differ because I feel like this is a throwback to kind of like mid late O's Marvel movies. Well, it does feel like that. Yeah. In some ways, and, it feels like a comic book movie from before the times of the MCU. Yeah, because it's, it's like, I mean, I guess this, this isn't real spoilers because you all know Taskmaster's in it and you all know that it's set in Budapest, so Red Ledgers and everything else. But they did Taskmaster Day. <laughs> they did Black Widow Day. And the reason is, this is something that, um, well, because I watched this with um, my partner Sophie, and this is something that Sophie brings up um, from a, a, a kind of feminist point of view, which I, I actually really, really on board with this point of view, actually, but... Why can't a female hero face off against a competent male villain? You notice that in a lot of these films, you don't really ever get that. They never get to face off against a competent male villain and best him. Yes, you'll get them fighting each other, but usually they get stomped. Am I right? I guess what? It, it depends on the sample you're using. And, but like, yeah, as, as a general, I can, I can, under, I can understand... Uh, that criticism because it does seem 
like a thing that um, like Western Hollywood movies are, uh, are plagued with more so than movies from elsewhere or from yeah. like the independent or or other yeah. countries. And I am specifically talking about Hollywood, and sp- this is like specific to superhero films or the superhero films we've been getting in recent times, the big blockbusters, the Marvel, the DC, etc. I mean, you, you, Wonder Woman um, goes up against. Um, uh, uh, Aries? Aries, that's it. Greek. All I could hear in my head was Greek God, Greek God. <laughs> but yeah, so Norman goes up against Aries, and that's cool. Why couldn't we have had something like that with, with uh, Black Widow, with Black Widow going up against um, a, a male super spy and, and, yeah. and besting them? and uh, You know, something like that. And there's no... The reason they did Black Widow Dirty a second time in this as well is because there's no real explanation, as far as I'm concerned. There's no real, like, depth to the Budapest thing. No. You don't, if, you don't get it explained. It feels like a sequel to a film that didn't exist. And it, it kind of, like... It feels rushed and, like, it was kind of just put out there to placate people. Yeah, it feels like it was done to fulfil uh, ScarJo's contract. Yeah, like it's like okay, so we're giving you this. This is your reward, and I, I, I don't feel like they've they've. I feel like they've done a dirty, basically. So it's the way I want you know. It's just it just really do. Um, but other than that, it's a fun Marvel film. But like, yeah, squarely in the mid to lower tier, like Leon said, I I agree with you on that one. Um, I mean, other than that, um, we've had Suicide Squad, the Suicide I, Squad, the Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. So. Forget what you know about the Suicide Squad. Forget the other Suicide Squad. This is the Suicide Squad. Um, Starro. <laughs> and I, I love this movie. Like, James Gunn slays with directing this compared to the other one. Like, this this compared to the other Su- Suicide Squad movie we've had. It's just like, it's something else entirely. And it is 1,000 times better than the first one. It really is. And like I just I just thought it was absolutely inspired, and I have a a big shout a special shout out to uh, David Dasmakian as Polka Dot Man. Yeah, it's great because because <laughs> I love him as Polka Dot Man. He does such a good job of that, like this weird, creepy, messed up. Like oh, it was just such a great comic book movie. It really was. Like this is what this is what we want. More of this. Comic book movies have evolved, and Black Widow sadly didn't display that, but Suicide Squad has. And, you know, if I, if I was going to pick between the two which one I would watch again, I'd probably say Suicide Squad, because there's just so many good scenes in that film. Yeah, because... So many really good set pieces. While I'm probably a bit cooler on it than you, I did have a lot of fun with the Suicide Squad, especially compared to the first, first film. And... I, I think this one plays to a lot of uh, Gunn's strengths, James Gunn's strengths in terms of... Because in some ways it is just Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, like, but like with these characters in some ways. and But it really works here. And I think all the... Um, all the different little set pieces and all the characters interacting with each other, I think it's done really well and it it, it manages to 
who manages to like ride the tones between sort of like this over-the-top hyper-violent thing uh, with comedy and also uh, pathos as well. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I had I had um, like uh, a lot of fun with it, and um, I, I too like Polka Dot Man. I think Rat Catcher Two. Uh, oh god, really, yeah, really Rat Catcher Two. Yeah, she was great. Like her whole her, the fact that she spent like you know spending a lot of time asleep and stuff, and like yeah, you can vibe with that. And like and Polka Dot Man is absolutely fantastic, and I just I love the balls this movie has. Like, I'm not going to say what happens because it would be a, a massive spoiler. But like the the opening of the movie, this film's got balls. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to show you a cover now um, of um, Justice League 190. So Justice League Volume 1 190, um, Leon. And I, I want you to just look at this cover and just like just understand where I'm coming from with my love of Starro and why I I really enjoyed Starro in this film. <laughs> so yeah. what the cover is it's like Starro looming in the background like some kind of like old school movie monster just like zapping people and then you've got the entire Justice League like every member of the Justice League all wearing Starro's on their faces under Starro's control and it's they almost recreated that obviously it, we weren't it wasn't heroes it was you know like just normal people but there's points in the film where they kind of almost recreate that shot um, and I love it. Yeah, because the thing I especially like with the star uh, thing is that they just go for it. They, they don't yeah. spend, but they go for it. But it's not throwaway. And instead, yeah. Starro uh, has some quite poignant lines as as well as mm. um, being like terrifying. So I, I think they thread the needle really well. Yeah, Star is great. He's really easy to draw as well. just doodle him in the corners of everything yeah I mean other than that like other than the films um, we've had Marvel What If has begun hasn't it which is good I like Marvel What If it's cool and it's fun Um, me personally I think I prefer the What If comics because I I don't know I just have more interest in and connection to the continuity in the comics sometimes Um, as much as I enjoy Marvel films um, it just I don't think there's as much depth with the MCU, and yeah, I, I think, think you can play think, as much as you can with the what you know. But yeah, yeah, there's a wider pool with like the comic stuff, so it's naturally going to work back better. Um, mm. I've seen like the first two so far, and I enjoyed the second one more than the first. But what I would say, and I, yeah, I had I had a lot of fun with the, with the second one, and I I enjoyed the first one for what it was, but. I think one of the issues here compared to the comics is that I think that there's way more there's something way more interesting they could do with these premises because what what they do is is that the setup for them are really cool and it's fertile ground to do something good but they it almost seems like they don't have enough time per episode to really deal with some of the uh, some of the implications of the changes that happened in their what if scenario so Mm. it means that a lot of really interesting thought experiments and story ideas 
are not being interrogated because uh, would you look at the time where like half an hour in it's time to end so part of me feels like one that maybe the episode should be longer like invincible length 45 minutes or something like that yeah and then the other part of me is like this is what if man like just go ham just like jump in like yeah. What what if X was X is is fun and I can see why they started the show that way because it's easy to re- but they could uh, go they could go way further than that. Yeah. And the thing is we're only a couple of episodes in so maybe they do. But yeah, my my hope is that they truly dive in on the overall bonkersness of of that what if can be because yeah, it, uh, it, it's such it, it's such a I was going to say get out of jail free card, but no, it's such a, an, a, a, a canvas that opens you to do really interesting things. So if the whole season is just loads of um, what if X was X, which I've seen like the trailers and stuff, and I, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that's not the way, but so far it is. And I, I think that you could just do so much more of it because mm. like some of the what if books that I've read have been just wild and they stayed with me. Exactly. This is my problem. Like it's underwhelming in comparison, but like because they do, they're doing the what if X was Y thing, which is fun to a degree as a thought experiment, like you say. But like, I mean, the scope for so much more within the MCU as well, because it they could do because um, the the what if the what if books, the ones that really stick with me are the ones that go with decisions that characters make rather than characters being other characters like getting new power sets and things like that like they stick with me more than than something like what if the spider-man was the punisher you know (laughs) that kind of thing it's like they stick with me more than that kind of stuff the decisions um and they could do that within the mcu quite happily um and, and and have some really interesting things happen with that i think um yeah, and that's the thing. We'll have to check in at the end yeah. of this season. We will. I think there's, there's, yeah. def- there's going to be at least two seasons. We keep but- saying we're going we're gonna to check in and, and talk about all this MCU TV stuff, but we haven't gone around to it yet. <laughs> well, no, but like this yeah. thing is only like two episodes in, so we're going to have to come back to that. But I think that would yeah. be separate from our exploration of the live-action shows, which is something that I've been pulling for us to do. So that would be cool to do sometime soon i do want to do it we just need to get on it that's the problem um i need to plan that out but yeah i definitely we definitely need to do those shows um so like other than that like i've been just just doing my thing i've been reading um x-men inferno which is my adventures in 80s comics this time and i they do love me some x-men classic um and i've been rereading this because there's an upcoming event uh in the new current x-men run going to be called inferno i won't have anything i don't think it'll have anything to do with anything but that starts on september 29th and it's the mini series that's supposed to be um hickman's next stage in everything that's happening to the x-men right now in the current hickman s yeah hickman x-men verse thing that he's built so uh i'm looking forward to that but that was called inferno and that that got me like Oh yeah, there's that Inferno '80s event. I'll reread that, and um, yeah, these. I mean, like, yeah, you know, 
80s X-Men comics. Where can you, well, you can't go wrong, really, can you? A bit of Mr. Sinister, a bit of Madeline Pryor, um, a bit of bit of that so X-Men soap opera stuff that, that, you know, that you just can't get anywhere else. You know, it, it's that continuing soap opera, that continuing um, run, that snowball, that Katamari of uh, events and things that just build and build and build and build and gets so complicated and so, like, esoteric and, and woven in and insane that you just can't you can't get that anywhere else other than other than like x-men and specifically x-men in that time period like bronze age to modern x-men comics like around that kind of like 70s into the 80s thing those that's peak peak (laughs) x-men and you can't get that anywhere else and uh, that's what i enjoy just just this this um continuously growing downhill snowball of crap uh but yeah it's great i love it um and yeah i've been i've been going back through that and then um alongside that actually i was because uh, i finally got around to reading remina because i've had remina for ages on my shelf junji ito um another thing i want to get around to doing is covering that but there's another junji book coming out now called sensor which is out september 2nd i think which mm. i've got pre-ordered I've got the hardback of that pre-ordered. So maybe when that's out, we can do like another Junji episode and cover both. Yeah. Be cool. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so this one is called Sensor. And um, according to the blurb, horror master Junji Ito explores a new frontier with a grand cosmic horror tale in which a mysterious woman has her way with the world. Uh, a woman walks alone at the foot of Mount Sengoku. Uh, a man appears saying he's been waiting for her and invites her to a nearby village. Surprisingly, the village is covered in uh, hair-like volcano glass fibres and all of it shines a bright gold. Um, at night, when the villagers perform their custom of gazing up at the starry sky, countless unidentified flying objects come raining down on them and that's the opening act for the terror about to occur. So, very Lovecraftian um and uh i'm i'm all for it because as i'm reading that my mind's eye is going through junji ito's drawings (laughs) i can fully imagine what this is going to look like on the page and i cannot wait to get my teeth into that next week uh when it when it drops so yeah i'm looking forward to that um into the reviews so this week's deep review comics um we're going to open with the latest one from Boom Studios, which is called Eat the Rich. Uh, no prizes for guessing why I chose this one. Uh, it's called Eat the Rich and uh, Cannibalism in High Society. Um, it's anxiety, anxiety written, nail ridden, anxiety written, anxiety ridden, written with anxiety, nail biting, horror of excess. Uh, it's the rich doing as they please answerable to no one which is it's a parody of that kind of mood um and that's something we're seeing a lot lately with like the super rich and and this whole animosity towards the super rich which seems to have grown up out of you know them sending themselves to space on the back of your pandemic dollar and that kind of shit so (laughs) um yeah um and uh, it, it, it taps into a mood and a place that I think we've all been to, uh, which is that, that 
position feeling like we don't belong anywhere or we don't belong in 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 a, a specific like if you've been to a specific event or in a specific place like uh for me it's, it's a class-based thing but like if i go to someone's house and they are what i perceive as like upper middle class rich or whatever like you know like because I'm, I'm a working class kid. I, I come from a very working class background. And although I enjoy luxuries now that come with having a job and having my own money and things like that, I, I'm still of that mindset. And I, I may own my own house, but I still consider myself working class. Um, and like I, I can go, I go to places or I go to, to certain uh, restaurants and things like that. And I feel like I don't belong there. And it's just, it's just something that's just rooted in me. Like I, I am really not made to be in this place. Like this is not my scene. And we've all been in that position and we've all felt like we don't belong. And like I said, usually for me, it's a class thing. Um, And in this book, like, you know, like the, the whole idea of like knowing how to behave, knowing what's expected, feeling wrong or off footing and, and, you know, feeling like you're being judged and watched and, and considered from every angle because you're the outsider. Mm. Um, and, and that's that's the vibe we get at the opening of this book. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the blurb. So, so yeah, um, what unspeakable horror eats away at the heart of Crestfall Bluffs? With law school and her whole life ahead of her, Joey plans to summer with her boyfriend, Aster in this seemingly perfect hometown of Crestfall Bluffs, which is very, um, what do they call that place? Cape Cod? Oh, yeah. Am I thinking of the right, I'm thinking it, of the right well, place? It kind of like that and the Hamptons, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a chance to finally meet Asta's family and childhood friends, all while enjoying a vacation with every need attended to by servants. But beneath the affluent perfection lies a dark, deadly rot. Will Joey discover the truth before it's too late? And if she does, can she survive to tell the tale? So yes, this is the bold, horrifying psychological thriller from Hugo Award-winning author Sarah Gailey, uh, known for The Echo Wife and Magic for Liars. I was looking at The Echo Wife, actually, and um, the synopsis for that, um, a woman who finds her husband cheating on her with a clone of her that he's had made a less threatening clone of her. So that sounds interesting. Um, yeah. And it's uh, artist Pius Back um, of Firefly and the Magicians. And uh, apparently perfect for fans of Stillwater and Nailbiter. Now I know Stillwater is very good because I've been, re- I've read that. That's, that's great. Great comic. Um, So yeah, eat the rich. Um, yeah. It's like, so, not only is there are you off footing and feeling like you're in the wrong place, but also feeling like something's wrong. Um, and it, it just perfectly captures that anxiety. Like the, the feeling of knowing something's off from the get go and knowing what's going on in, in, in the kind of like the, the sort of like nuanced expressions that the artist managed to get, manages to get across in the panels on faces. And even in the, in the writing itself, in, in the, in the, um, the vocabulary used and in the the way that the the speech is written and like the whole thing works together down to the lettering as well and the way that the, the way that it's paced um it just it just all works together to get that feeling across and it's a really 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 effective piece of, of work at, at doing that um 
And it, it does like the classic high society thing, like the classic paro- parodies of high society. And I, I love this stuff because I hate snotty rich people. <laughs> I, I hate snotty rich people who think the rules don't apply to them or don't care and, and who walk over people in, in what they perceive as lower stations. Um, it's, yeah, and, and I love I love this kind of parody of that kind of thing and illustration of the way that, you know, the inequality, the illustration of the inequality and everything else. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a metaphoric. So, so in a, in a, in a metaphorical way, this is the filthy rich grinding out and using us for their survival and their sport. Um, they're like, that we are their economical food. Um, <laughs> as, as we, as we well know, um, when we, when we take jobs at places like Amazon and such, like we are, we are used until we drop. Um, and, and like, we're, we're like nothing but cattle to them basically. And this is kind of like an extreme version of that, if you will. Um, and, and it's, it, this book has a wonderfully pitch black sense of humor. So, I mean, Leon, you read this as well? Yeah. You got much to add to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I thought you were going to follow on. Yeah. No, no. To uh, to sort of pick up where you're coming from, Leah, I, I, I agree definitely with a lot of the uh, sentiment. I really like early on with the, as you said, the overlapping text boxes it really, I, I love, we here at Ace Comic Calls, we really love good lettering and we also love like, a good use of a text box. And um, I think uh, they're, they're used really well here as well with the different, uh, the different worries and thoughts for the two people who were, who were entering into this world. One is heading back into this world. Uh, another one is, is, is uh, basically living that life of imposter syndrome throughout this book. And um, I, I do love how it, it it leads to this, but it also wrong foots you in a way because the guy who's from there is the one who's sort of having the panic attack, and um, it and it, it sort of changes what you'd expect um, for going into this because a lot of the time it's in this sort of like lead in it's person who's not from this world going with their partner who is from this world. And then they're brought into this, this deep dark world. And like a recent example of that is like the film get out, but like here it, it sets up the stakes in a different way where it's like, yeah, this place seems to chew people up and spit them out. And it even, even like it, it, that's, that stuff takes its toll on, on the the people who are who are eating eating uh, or like living I should say to, <laughs> to, 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 oh come to, on man we all know what happens <laughs> look at the cover of the book look at the cover of issue one look at but it like um, <laughs> like I, I think it's a really good like uh, setup and start and I love how it it's all framed of the um, the the tunnel that they've entered basically entering this this new world um, and separated from from what what she's used to and I, I think like from then on like. It, it does the enticing thing of dripping these these little things in there of like the help being a bit weird and everybody acting in a in a particular 
inscrutable manner where it, it already like your expectations already wrong footing you where you're like oh man I don't want to like be an imposter basically I don't want to make a fool out of myself I don't want these uh, these affluent people especially in her case where she's she she's actually nakedly aware of the benefits of getting in with all this lot. Um, it isn't even just a thing of like, oh, I'm I'm the partner of so and so. It's like, oh, the, if I play my cards right, this could go well for me. And that extra wrinkle makes makes things, I don't know, more intriguing in a way because it isn't as fairy tale. It's it's not transactional. But it, it, I mean, it's more honest, and yeah, yeah. I, I do love how, uh, as she's pulled into this world and sort of wowed by all like the size of the place and all the different rooms, she hit. She is uh, nudging up against weird, weird stuff, and there's little, especially when you get to the end of the book, and if you look back through, there's little clues of like what arcane things are, are, are going on in this place. Mm. But I, I do love like something as simple as like, um, there's a part where her partner's father offers her like a drink and it, it's almost a trap. And it's almost uh, a simple thing of like making the right choice. Uh, she's like, Oh, like, uh, like I almost, I almost completely like screwed that up type thing, and I love yeah. the way like lettering's done with that. Not that kind of girl pan or like. I think there's just a lot of yeah, sprinkles of a lot of really specific and detailed uh, things in there um, around um, without actually just coming outright and saying it. It, it does set up uh, an uneasiness and a wariness where like even if the culmination of things and what's alluded to by the name of the book and the the cover weren't that way and instead it was just a bog standard retirement dinner party she had to go to in this situation it'd be still horrifying so the fact that what they stack up on this i think it does like you said the metaphor works really well but without being like a one uh, it's not a one, one joke pun or something yeah yeah I, I I do love the lettering and and like the, the the that was the the technique I wanted to draw your attention to at the beginning actually that you picked you picked it out as well, um, where the sort of like inner narration is overlapping the text box of the other character because it's that she's at that point where she's kind of like you can see it in her face, um, you know where it, like she's got that tunnel vision and the inner voice is that you're not listening to what's going on outside because you're just doing the, oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god mm. I'm gonna screw this up I'm gonna screw this up I'm gonna screw this up and it's just perfectly perfectly got get it across perfectly using that technique um because it, it you can almost you, you don't you don't get the chance to listen either because you're in her head and the narration takes priority which I think is great um and yeah, the, the the not that kind of girl panel, and the panels leading up to that, it's just like with the um, where they're like kind of like dissecting what she's wearing, the whispers and everything else, and uh, you know, yeah, it's sort yeah. of like it comes and leads up to that point where, yeah, and and 
yeah, just the whole thing is like she's viewing the whole thing as a test, but it becomes even more than that. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I just like um, how her, like, seemingly, I don't know, self prophesized, uh, like, ostracization <laughs> to, to yeah. use a neologism. Um, where she's wearing a dress and everyone's sort of in that sort of Hamptons white type thing. And, but she's wearing a dress and, um, she feels completely, uh, out of her stride. Like you've, you've done that thing where you're already in the, an imposter syndrome thing, whether it's like you're going to someone's house or something, or you're hanging out with people who, uh, who have more money and more cultural experience than you or older than you or whatever. And, um, you're going out to places and you're like, uh, I, you're just going with the flow and it's, mm. you don't want to like mess up and be like, Oh, I wasn't meant to wear this, these shoes at this thing. Like you can, you can totally like getting her head and I like feel that. And the way it's put a book, especially because, um, inside the place you have this like tint of like, like sort of reds and that, yeah. uh, like place like, almost places like a target on her, especially how her yeah. dress is kind of like downward pointing chevrons to a degree. So like yeah. it, it really all just draws your eye in and, and you, you sort of feel that I'm surrounded by people, but I'm isolated type feel. And you know, those things as well, where you go somewhere and you only know one person there, but that one person's yeah. the host or something. So they're off saying happy, they're getting presents and, and talking yeah. to all these people who are there. And you're sort of like, I don't know anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and they capture that great, especially, but mm. with with the party just being like weird and alien feeling, they they nail that that sinking void, mm. which uh, I really like. Don't you just hate that term as well? The help. Yeah, it, it's 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 a slur, basically. It is. That's yeah, what it feels like it's, it's horrible, and and like it just. I love how like forceful they are as well. Where they like take her back and they're like, don't interfere. You're like angry face. Um, and then like in some of the other panels, when we're going back through and they're giving her the tour of the building. And um, I, I have to talk about this because I just, I can't not because I just think it's such a great visual device. Um, so obviously we've got all the little things that point towards something happening and we all know what this book is from the get-go because it doesn't really hide what it's doing and where it goes because the 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 book's called eat the rich and the cover of the book has three family members there's blood a bit of cutlery and a glass and it's red and dark and you just you just know what's going to be happening here you you, there's no no secret made of it but then when you're going through and they're giving they're giving um our character the tour of the house and um i I gotta say i like the bull clip in the hair as well i think that's cool we call them bull clips in the uk uh binder clip it's called in this but yeah is it bull clip am i right i swear they're called bull clips i i can't remember yeah I, i just remember them being called bull clips when i was at school but yeah, you go through and um, you've got like the painting of the guy serving the meat on the serving tray. <laughs> and then you get to the kitchen and you've got these three kind of like butcher types just standing over this carcass, the three cooks, like breaking down this carcass. Um, and 
you're looking at something that at once could be a you know a wild animal but the more you stare at it the more you start to think that it could also be a human especially knowing about the book <laughs> like it it has that look about it that it you know it could be a deer but then like you're looking at it thinking well that that could also be a person and it starts to twist in your mind but yeah i love that panel i love the whole thing <laughs> but yeah um the character designs are lovely and there's some real choice panels towards the end um like i'll i'll say carnivorous frivolity bacchanalian excess 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 I can't talk today. Uh, it's clean, economical art and beautiful colours and the whole thing is just so well designed. Like, wide eyes of fear and anxiety, great facial expressions. Um, and the realisation that hits when everything turns dark and those those final two pages just wham. And just, yeah, the whole thing. Like, I love this. This is an issue one. It's great start to finish. I, I just need more of it. I want the rest of it. And um, when it's a trade and you can read it all together, it's going to be absolutely fantastic read. Um, but yeah, like, I I want I want more. Um, and that is Eat the Rich. And your creative team on that one. We've got uh, written by Sarah Gailey, illustrated by Pius Beck, coloured by Roman Titov, and lettered by Cardinal Ray. Um, and uh, we've got like um, the main cover by Kevin Tong, and we've got variant covers by Becca Carey, Jenny Frisson, uh, Leila Del uh, and uh, Kevin Tong. So yeah, I uh, I think I think I want more. Uh, and that is Eat the Rich. So on from that one, this is one that we were sent um, a kind of review copy of. And uh, this is a book called Black. Um, this is currently um, being kickstarted by uh, Soaring Penguin Press. Um, the Kickstarter is already like two thirds funded from when I last checked, which was this afternoon. Um, so it's going well at the moment. And what this is, is a gritty, moving and hard hitting kind of indictment of the uh, the social care system, the care home system for kids uh, back in like the 70s and the 80s. Um, and with that as well, the racism that sort of like came with that era and everything, because what we're, we're actually following, um, the life of, uh, this is like autobiographical. So this is written by a man called Tobias Tate. And, uh, what we're getting is we're getting a look at his childhood growing up in care, in the care system in the seventies and eighties. Um, and we're getting kind of, um, and it's the UK. Yeah. In the UK in the seventies and eighties. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Uh, and we're getting kind of a snapshot at that and, and, and a look at basically this, how, you know, how it was basically a prison before a prison and in the way that these children were treated in the way that they were brought up and, and in the, in the systemic racism that comes with it, you're kind of like groomed into, into that, that kind of, that kind of criminal mindset, aren't you? Um, 
because of the the cruel the way you're treated like you know like the the cruelty and the um the i don't know what the word is for it where it, you kind of just ignore someone uh brush them off not not neglect is another word I'm looking for. But yeah, you, you're kind of like treated in that way that kind of like grooms you to go straight into the criminal justice system from from the way that this book sort of like plays it out. And um, yeah, this is just a snapshot and just one case of these like forgotten children from back in this sort of 70s and 80s. Uh, and we know from the news recently in the UK uh, I say recently, like it's been something that's sort of been there in the background for a long time now, which is kind of like the the, the cruelty cases and the, the the cases of sexual abuse and things like that that that, that have been sort of that have come out recently in uh, from that kind of era from the seventies and eighties in this care system. Um, and yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great hard hitting graphic novel, I think, and it, it I just want to say it would be impossible to go through. What this man's gone through unscathed and um, it has this real kind of like uh, British cinema feel to it as well. Like, I think it's because it's it's entirely in black and white and it's very gritty. And uh, it just gave me kind of like visions of scum and meets this is England type thing going on. Uh, if you want some touchstones for what, what kind of story this is and how this plays out. Mm. Um, like a, a Susan of uh, like Ken Loach style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a real story of the real issues this man faced growing up in this care system. Um, so this is Tobias Tate and Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith is the artist. Uh, Tobias Tate is the, uh, the, the writer here. And this is like kind of his autobiography. This is his autobiographical work. Um, yeah, just like. Just I, I you know it, it is shocking in places, and the abuse and the lack of understanding and all of this compounded with the prejudice faced by him as a black child in this in this system at this time um and it's a powerful story and an indictment of the times in which it took place um i mean i I want to say things have improved i don't I don't know it, it appears. I don't know, but I mean, I don't, I don't think it's improved enough and I don't think we've learned enough from past mistakes as a nation, as far as institutional racism goes, especially, it's still rife and the care system still, as far as I know, not a very nice place to be. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Leon? Yeah, I mean, I, I found this to be a gripping memoir it's it's as you've like like uh like as uh, as you said previously like it's it, it doesn't pull any punches and um yeah i'd say going into this but there, there's definitely con i would say you'd have content warnings for uh abuse um uh and uh like sexual suicide violence. um so yeah sexual violence like there's a there's a a lot going on in this and the, the thing it's, with this book it's um it's not explicit artistically but he does talk about it so uh, it doesn't necessarily go into detail artistically as in it doesn't show you in the comic like scenes of what happened but he does talk about it yeah and, and it's part of the story yeah yeah definitely but yeah um 
I, I think it's one, I think the main word that comes to my mind with this book is like honest. It's very honest and messy and un, unflattering, um, uh, like detail of, of events that, that happened. And the way they're rendered here is so like naturalistic. It, nothing feels like uh, a particular flight of fancy. It does feel like someone taking you down memory lane and bringing up uh, some of the bigger touchstones in their life in the in their journey into where they are now and it's it's no um it's no accident that it it starts um with a mostly black page and it has a, a Muhammad Ali quote in there in the middle which was uh with his decision not to go to Vietnam and 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 fight in the war, which got him stripped of his championship, and he was like uh, punished for it. He was banned from boxing, and I think that it's such a it, it it's such a great place to to start on on that tone. And obviously, like the the cover is like the Union Jack, but it's um, monochrome, it's in black and white, and it sets you up for this this. Uh, retread of events, but done in in such a matter of fact way, and I like how each like there isn't it isn't really presented in a, a sort of there's a moralistic tale to take from all of this. It, it is just this is what happened, and this is what led to this, and this is how I I got there. And by having the sort of word storytelling in that sense be quite um straight to the point and um portrayed through through the lens of of this guy and his situation and, and growing up and and the stuff that he's enduring it leaves the art to uh to pull you along on that ride um and and be like super expressive and i do think that both uh both writing and art come together in in such a uh, fresh and unique way the way how like very specific british things uh, appear throughout we um end up reading just so many like american books even even though like a lot of them are done by like british authors that um and even like the the british written ones are or like drawn ones are like based on some sci-fi american thing it is refreshing to spend some time in this history that you barely ever see in, in comics, um, where like the seventies, eighties, um, South of England. Um, and part of that, I mean, what, I mean, what that does, it, it just, you're pulled in because this is, this is a, for, for a lot of people, this is going to be a new world. And for people like me who are younger, but was heavily aware of, of this and is a black person who grew up in the South of England, uh, particularly London, so much of it resonates, especially thinking back to childhood and older people that you you knew, people who would be like uh, the generation just above and such. Like all of the things that you'd see and hear and be warned by uh, are in in this book, but they're not re- like all of this is done. Like the lens that we're giving in this book is very individual, which I quite like, and it it it, it works well in terms of the the title of the book being black because you might think that going in 
the book is just a, a treatise about like race or something like that but instead it is this particular person's story mm. and how uh, their race their class their status as the child of of immigrants their their um proximity to to crime their their time spent in the massively underfunded and underregulated social care system um and just the general atmosphere um going on at the time this is this is a time of like uh rivers of blood speeches and stuff flying about um far right political parties being quite quite big in in the, in the zeitgeist um the uh groups like the nf and stuff uh national front going around and uh physically abusing people and like uh, race riots happening um in various places around the country in various cities like this is quite a tumultuous time for a country that likes to pretend that everything is fine and doesn't really isn't comfortable dealing with stuff head on and what it does it creates this imperfect soup in which you you drop uh people in with without any safety net because this is the safety net and as we go through the book various different institutions fail him uh whether it be the uh the the, the first home that they're in which is which is run by like nuns uh who are like super like brutal and very unforgiving um to uh his run-ins with the police later on to his run-ins with the home run by um the army people like these various institutions are propped up in this makeshift social care system that cares not for these individuals they just handing them off and doing the bare minimum to to get by and it we we see the damage that this takes how uh you, you have him at 10 years old thinking about stuff that wouldn't even wouldn't even have crossed my mind uh when i was 10 years old and i i didn't really grow up in a particularly privileged uh, upbringing so it's um and i i really respect how it is it does feel like this um snapshots into to these these parts of his life and the way how it's like I was saying before it's unflattering at times and he talks about his mistakes and and things that he did wrong and and, and thoughts that he had and how he's sorry about one thing but not another thing and how his anger could take over like it really is unvarnished and and raw mm. And I think that's what what works um, really well. And um, to to talk more about how that works with the art, I, there's a really nice thing going on where it's like it's widescreen, um, yeah. and and like you like you say, Greg, like it gives it a cinematic feel, especially the the sort of social dramas of the seventies and eighties in the UK. And like you said, with the black and white, like it does feel like I'm, I'm watching what one one of these these movies and uh but the, the thing is a lot of those movies are uh like it's it's rare that those movies were like written or directed by 
someone who was in those situations, particularly from a race standpoint. So ha- having um, it being written by someone who's who's lived through this life does give it uh, not an extra authenticity, even though it does. But what it does, it, it makes the um, the it makes the authorial voice feel weighted because yeah. um, it's blood, sweat, and tears on the page. Yeah. Because um, not just through the work in making this book, but also in the life growing up to inspire this book. So yeah. as you go through it, it it, uh, it it details really and has these like really cool and well done like vistas, which. Um, Oftentimes, will give you like really detailed looks. Like, there's a time where there, um, him and a bunch of uh, his mates from one of the homes, they they go they go for a little a little escape, a little jaunt, and they go to like Winchester, and just seeing like the looks on their faces and stuff as they look at the, the architecture, and it's like it's a beautiful city. It's like something they haven't seen before, and yeah, most of their life is in this in this brutal thing where they're just coming up for air. And it's mm. short lived, but and but it's not just short lived. It's actively their life is made worse. And yeah. as we go through, we get like even what feels like um, like racial science and uh, like phrenology stuff. Um, it it really does display like how um, like people these people were left to sort of drown. And yeah. they were like set up at a very young age to fail, and um, s- despite there being like better homes, like as described, like you have the homes where you call like Sir and Miss, and then you got the homes where you call people by their first names, and those ones were better. Um, even though, even when in those ones, like it was good because they were they were better, but they were, it was still in a, in a it was still in a a world where they weren't supported and yeah. like like later on there is like freedom but mix mixed with um like a, a rudderless sense because no one has equipped him with the tools he needs to survive out in the real world and he's just dumped after being like physically and mentally and emotionally abused for his whole life well that's it it's it the way that the the book is set up and in the way that he describes what happens in these places to him um the forced labor the discipline everything else it's prison before prison and from the get go you're in this system where you are basically conditioned to only to be uh, like to to survive as a prisoner basically and by the time you come out i guess you almost have the men- when you come out of the, the a care system that's like this you almost have the mentality where you're going to go looking to that for stability. So, so where else but prison? But I think it's a thing of like in here, it's often um, uh, like a less calculated choice. It's it's um, survival, uh, yeah. like yeah. through and through, and it, it's a thing where like the um, the the game is rigged. So like um, each of the lanes for this like broken system lead into a world where you're back locked in something and whether it's in like an illegal solitary confinement that 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 happens or whether it be just uh, set up with like alone 
uh, outside of the system, but with no no care, no support, no um, safety net. Yeah. yeah, and so like I think all of it uh, like comes together to to have this almost like docudrama like sense feel about it and all of it as i said before it is like messy and like i don't want to go too deep into like the ending but like it, it there's a thing here where it's like it isn't the the book isn't spiteful or like screaming at the world um and it could be easily it could be if i wanted to easily there's all justification with like what like what's transpired in this history but in, but the book isn't really doing that the the book isn't like an angry punch it, it, like i said it's just honest and 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 matter of fact and it's not even like begrudging and like throughout throughout this this book you do see um like uh how there are glimmers of light and how unlikely people or or like different circumstances are different what than what you'd expect and how like in this there were good people helping create a handful of good memories on the way in but like the reason where we're at the point we are now where we're reading uh, a book which is uh written by the person who who went through this is that um different people in in his life had different impacts which led him to uh the, the place where he could be to where he he is uh like writing um a graphic yeah. novel about this exactly uh, yeah um but yeah like, I, I think that i really like the because uh, a lot of the time on a page and these like, on these wide pages it's um, like a few panels and I really like how they're picked I really like how they're constructed against each other because there's a lot of text in this it's like this is a basically a memoir we're getting memories so there's yeah. lots of text boxes in this but it never feels like uh, it it never feels like it's overdone it never feels like Oh, these like we could have done with just like a few like less words in the panel because it really does feel like a voiceover and the um the artwork does do that thing where it's like a thousand words in 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 one picture and yeah it it does at times it's like really good snapshots of what you're reading and um other times it's um uh, it, it it's almost working not in a metaphorical sense but it, it works on a sense where it captures the whole feeling or it captures mm. the, the whole um, uh, climate or atmosphere of what's being described. So, like, you, it never becomes dull because instead you, you feel the energy of that the words are, are bringing uh, yeah. via the images. So, like, it is... Um, I don't know. It, it, I, it, it's so brutal and raw but i didn't feel like oh, what sort of bummed out or anything while reading no, instead yeah. i was really compelled by uh his his story and um navigating all this because this like like i said before this is this elements of this are like relatable to me and not in that sense that i went for any of this but there are different notions in there where um i have uh, in- encountered the the next generation sort of filtered down version of this, or I I know stories of people who were of this guy's age group who were in the system to this degree, and um, uh, like 
it's the recidivism, isn't it? Where it's uh, reoffending, and yeah. um, like I like this stuff is stuff that I, I'm aware of, and I've like uh, not firsthand, but definitely like secondhand, um, yeah, uh, experience with, and it all feels so so real, and mm. um, yeah, it, it's a book that I uh, highly recommend, and it's um, it's it's one that I'd be interested to revisit especially when we have like a full uh a full cast and maybe like do a little spoiler section um Mm. that'd be that'd be cool yeah give it a full uh, a reread when when the full version uh finishes out because we've we've got like a um when when it was sent over to us it we they called it an uncorrected version so um what what we've read uh, it, it, and, and what we've had, what we've reviewed, is like a like an uncorrected version of uh, of of what um, what the Kickstarter will be achieving. And there's going to be an afterword in the full version, which isn't in this one. Um, and it'd be an afterword by Don John. He's the founder of Black History Month South and the co-author of the Black History of Southampton, which is 16th century to 21st century. Um. Yeah, so the full version is going to have an afterword by Don John, and it's going to be. Uh, I I want to I want to I want to read like the full finished version when the Kickstarter is fully funded. So I mean, if it if this sounds like something that um, you'd be interested in reading or or, or taking a look at, um, you can head over to the Kickstarter, and I think like the lowest tier is seven quid, and that gets you a digital edition. Um, so. It's to- totally worth it. And it'll be out in time for um, October, November this year. It says estimated delivery November on the Kickstarter page, but I think it, I think they they, tr- they want to get it done for October. Black History Month in the UK. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a powerful story. And uh, it like like all those points about the art that you made, about how it has this like graphic realism. It's very clear, very clean. Uh, presented in black and white which gets over this heavy oppressive mood like what you were saying about the art um it kind of like breathes life into the writing so the writing's there and and that evokes a response because you're reading the writing and you're getting an emotional response that way but then like the, the the art kind of just like breathes life into that and fleshes that out and it works together and there's this like symbiosis between the two which is what is the lifeblood of comics i guess but yeah it works really well here um and it's like the grey's great because it like evokes the concrete and grey skies. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a very yeah. overcast feeling throughout. Exactly, yeah, and that's that's what kind of like I don't know that in that way it feels very British. Um, and like you were saying, the book isn't altogether bleak. Um, there's some nice moments. Um, there's some ultimately optimistic moments. Uh, he fought, he. He he survives, which is ultim- the ultimate ending to the story is that he survives because he's here writing it um, and everything's stacked against him, but he still manages to find love and freedom. And yeah, it's a hard hitting record of modern history. And definitely like um, go in definitely with those content warnings that we said, like if you're yeah. particularly sensitive to stuff, um do do the work yeah. there is needed to be yeah. cautious 
be be wary of the content of the book. I mean, it's a compelling story, but obviously um, be wary that if you are sensitive to the kind of things that do get discussed in the book, then yes, like Leon said, um, just just be careful with that if you do plan to read it. Um, yeah, 128 pages, October 2021, which is Black History Month in the UK, and that is Soaring Penguin Press. Uh, currently on Kickstarter, which we will have the link for in our um, show notes. So... Um, the final book this week, um, is something that, like, I I just couldn't resist putting this on the list. I had to, like, we haven't had a, I don't think we've talked about a good Kate book for a while, have we? Have we? I don't know, you might have. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, we did do those Batman books not that long. <laughs> I, I read a lot more Capes books in this show. Let's on sometimes. Like, I mean, we we don't often. I don't. I, sometimes we. Some. I I talk about them, but I I don't like. I, if you saw like, because I buy stacks and stacks and stacks of this stuff. I buy Batman ongoing. I mean, I've talked about this previously on the previous episodes. You know, I read Capes books, but yeah, I mean, like, it's been a while since I brought up a true tried true blue Capes book. So, I wanted to talk about Batman eighty nine. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about Batman 89 was because it's very close to my heart. These Batman movies, like diving back into Tim Burton's vision of Batman. And that's what Batman 89 is. Batman 89 is, for want of a better word, the forgotten third movie, the unmade third movie from the Batman Tim Burton films. Um, and it's a two-faced story, which just makes it even better because it's, it's going to be that um that, that it has it has every all the great hallmarks of a of a a, a good two-faced story as well so it's um it's tim burton's vision of batman and the likenesses of the cast are expertly captured here and it is just so much fun so much fun so we're talking, of course, about Batman 1989, and uh, I think this comes off the back of the fact that the DC have also done Batman 66, which was a series that explored the 1966 Batman, which is the um, well 60s Batman. You all know that one, the super campy one with the with the intro that everyone knows. Um, Cesar Romero's Joker, um, and shark repellent. Yeah. Yep, yep, shark repellent, yeah. And uh, also they did Wonder Woman 77 comics. So they did the the Wonder Woman 77 stuff, uh, which was the 1977 series of Wonder Woman. And uh, alongside this, at this moment in time, actually, like out now as well as Batman uh, 89 is Superman 78. (laughs) So they're doing like the 1978 Superman verse type stuff as well, which is cool. Like, I like that they're exploring those continuities, and exploring and it's like, those, yeah, it's like full circle as well, because obviously the, these yeah. these are works uh, like adapted from comics, and now the comics are are adapting adapted from these works. Works, but what I find the most interesting about the Batman work, especially about Batman eighty nine, the movie, is it was the template that kind of like set up the aesthetic and the kind of the gothic. Um, overtones that batman has carried with it for since 1989 (laughs) like (laughs) that that kind of like set the that has set the tone for batman ongoing from then to now really hasn't it if you think about it if you think about anything batman that's happened since then like 
bar the Nolan movies. Even the Nolan had, movies, I think, are... To are, a degree, to a degree. A, a, a big inspiration from the Burton movies. But they've all... Like, everything's had a touch of the Burton about it. Like, the Batman animated series was very, very, very Burton. And then, I mean, like... The, the, Danny Elfman did the, did the intro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but not, not only that. Like, if you listen to any Batman score from any, any Batman film or any Batman media onwards, like, video games, anything, like, now, you will hear, like... The, the influence of the Elfman score. Like it's, it's, it, this, the thing about Batman 89 is, it is, is in the blood of Batman. Like it is the, it is now, it has now become the genetic makeup of Batman. I mean, and, and especially Batman in, in my experience from growing up in the nineties and things like that, growing up in the late eighties and nineties, like this is, this is what I knew to be Batman. Hmm. Like this is, um, and and like as as far as I'm concerned, this is part of the genetic makeup of Batman, and it's interesting to see this now be explored in comics, from from a film that was based on comics that influenced the comics and the rest of the media based on Batman. It was kind of like a cultural. I I I put the Batman 1989 film and the, the Batman Tim Burton movies as a kind of like a cultural touch point for Batman from that point forward, everything you've got like BB and then AB. So before <laughs> Burton, after Burton, I think, <laughs> right. Cause I think, I think, I think everyone has, has taken, um, something from those Burton movies going forward where Batman's concerned, like everything has, has a touch of that about it. It really and does. And that's the thing, even the, the, the Burton himself and like the writers and producers, they were inspired by, uh, what what uh, Moore and Miller and other writers were doing, sort of rehabilitating Batman in in like the eighties, uh, and also sort of Batman's origins as like the original detective in Detective Comics. But mm. like I think the particular thing, like you said, is the the gothic uh, archness, like uh, and and all, all the other things that are related to to that um, that aesthetic. Yeah, just those those heavy gothic overtones, and that that always Halloween thing. Yeah, that yeah. Gotham has going on, like you can just imagine Harvey Bullock just just like puffing away on a cigar on the rooftop, while um, you know, like Gordon's trying to resist reaching for the cigarettes in his jacket pocket. You know, like. Basically, you've got Harvey Bullock's cigar smoke wafting over. You've got Gordon trying to resist his cigarettes and Bullock just saying something like, it's always Halloween in Gotham. And then he just like chucks the stogie on the floor, stamps it out kind of thing. And then uh, old uh, Jim lights up the signal and uh, Batman comes swinging over the... Uh, the, um, the gargoyles. Yeah, the impossibly tall skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. But yeah, um, so like, it's no secret that this is, it's, I think, I think this is brilliant. and I think it's inspired. And this is, I, I wanted to talk about this one particularly because I, I feel that, like I've, like I've said, I feel that the, as far as Batman goes, I think the, the, the movies and everything else, especially this Batman 89 movie has had more of an influence on Batman in the cultural um, in, in Batman in cultural memory and in, in, in like the cultural genetics of Batman than, than any of the others have had on their 
um, their characters like Wonder Woman 77 or, or Superman 78. And I think they start with the cover of the book. I think the cover's just brilliant. Like it, it's Batman jumping down from a building, but it's, it's, it's that super stiff rubber suit Batman <laughs> that we got from Batman 1989, where he had to turn his whole body to turn his head kind of stiff. And uh, I feel that they've brilliantly captured that in the artwork because it just has that weight to it because that suit looked heavy. You know, when, when he's trudging mm. around on it on set and whatever, when you can see it in the films, it looks heavy. And the weight of that suit just comes over perfectly in that cover as he's jumping down. Like, you can see it happening. And his chin looks like the Michael Keaton chin. Yes, yes, because, because he looks like Michael Keaton. That's why when he takes the cowl off, it's Michael Keaton with, um, with uh, Reed Richards going on he's got the he's got the old reed richards gray streaks going on at the side of his head um and it's just like the likenesses are actually uncanny and it's absolutely beautiful like like lando dent like (laughs) you can't go wrong um (laughs) because it does it does look like him it really does um yeah billy d williams um is in this comic like billy d williams like I, I couldn't get over how much like Billy D. Williams it looked. Actually, I was, I was so in this. I could see it moving. I could hear it. I could hear the voices of these actors and actresses talking. Like, and it just, it just has everything, everything about it. Like, it has a really good sense of humor artistically and also in the writing. Uh, like, there's there's references everywhere to other Burton movies. Like, loads of Easter eggs. Um, there's even a DKR reference in there. Um, and it's obviously taking place at Halloween because when else, um, like, and, and it's got, it's got all those, like the classic hallmarks of a great Two-Face story because it's, it's the forgotten third film. It's what you would, it's what you wanted. This is like, this is like the missing third Burton verse movie. It feels great. It matches the tone and it could easily be the third Burton verse movie. It's like, I don't like tagging verse onto things like the Burton verse or, you know, I don't, I don't like using that, that phraseology, but <laughs> I, I will hear. Um, it, Cause I think there's probably better ways to describe it. I feel like that's lazy, but um, it's a two face origin story in this style within this world. And yeah, it's just, it's everything you want from a two face story and everything you want from a Batman comic. And it delivers a real heavy kick of nostalgia. Uh, it builds like any other Two-Face story, uh, you know, disillusionment with the justice system, um, like this kind of like um, distrust of uh, Gordon's reliance on vigilantism to keep justice going in, in uh, Gotham. It's it's all the kind of like the classic touchstones of any 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 good Harvey Dent story living long enough to see yourself become the vision vision uh, villain. Vision villain. Yeah, not the vision. Jeez, no. <laughs> um, and it's like that obsession with chance and the coin and the common theme and motif throughout the comic and the foreshadowing is done, you know, through coins and through use of the coin, which is, again, a, a, a real classic Two-Face device. Um, and I feel like people might dismiss it for that, like, oh, just another Two-Face story. But it's more than that because it is this, what I think was, I think these the, the Batman 89 film was culturally important for Batman. In fact, it was culturally important for Batman uh, uh, in, in relaunching Batman as the Dark Knight. 
and in in the cultural consciousness like like the mainstream cultural consciousness as in like reviving bringing batman back from his campy 66 days into you know the dark knight which i i, I that, that's why it was so important but yeah i mean like um it just it has like all that the foreshadowing and yeah like the whole thing it's just great, and I really, I really want to see where it builds. I wanna, I wanna watch Billy D. Williams turn into Billy D. Two Face. Um, I really, I really love that Elfman uh, and and Burton Gothic aesthetic for 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 Gotham, and it, it, not only that, it's written by the guy who wrote the original story for the movie as well. So, um, like y- y- your creative team on this is written by Samuel Ham. Uh, you've got. Um, Joe Quiones as the artist. Um, Leonardo Ito is your colorist and Clayton Cowles is your letterer. So like, there's a really good team of people behind it. And there's some really, really cool panels and it really does feel cinematic in places. And they nail that. That's that Billy D. Williams smile. They nail it. They absolutely nail it. Like he has a very distinctive smile, doesn't he? Yeah. And they nail it. (laughs) They really do. Um, and he's, he's a really good Harvey Dent and I, I'm just, cause I, 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 he was Harvey Dent in the previous, I'm just bummed that we didn't get to see this on the screen, man. Yeah. It was weird. It was like, yeah. this, um, uh, it's like, yeah, Chekhov's, uh, Billy D. Williams. Cause he's there as Harvey Dent and all of us who've read the books and stuff or read watch them. We're like, but yeah, like it just never gets completed. It was just hanging yeah. there, that, the thread that never got... Because it would have been really fun if, like, if they didn't go, like, the the Schumacher way in the 90s and they'd kept it with Burton, like, we would have got a Two-Face movie with him. There's even some TAS references in here. And, like, I just can't... I can't get over it. It's just... <laughs> I can't get over how good this is. How good this comic is. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're also going to get Robin introduced in here as well. So we're going to get a Burton verse Robin. Um, because he turns up later on at some point, uh, turns up later on in this book, actually, in the first one. And yeah, I'm just, um, I'm 100% here for this. And I, I, I love the fact that we're going to get to see this, this Burton verse Two-Face and I, I want a soundtrack for it as well, actually. I'd love a soundtrack for it. Like, imagine... Can you imagine what the soundtrack would be on this? So, the first one was 1989. When was was Batman Returns? 92, I believe. Yeah, 92. So, this... I would say... Let's put this conservatively at 94, right? Um, So... What 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 kind of stuff do you think would be on the soundtrack for this in 1994? Oh, like the... Oh, yeah, okay. Dude... I don't even know because the thing is, um, I like the soundtracks for um, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Like, there's some good songs on there, despite not loving the movies as much. But like, um, but Batman and Robin has that awful Gotham City song. <laughs> but like, um, there might be there might even be some overlap of songs that are on those. But like, yeah, say ninety four, ninety five. I mean, what what are your selections? I don't know. This is what I'm asking you. Um, yeah, because Batman Forever was 95, and I think a bunch of that soundtrack, I could see it overlapping. But mm. then, like, Burton had Prince in his first movie, so, like, I think he, yeah. he, he's going a different way. Like, just, I could almost see, like, 
Yeah. Madonna on the third movie. <laughs> well, like Batman and Robin had Bone Thugs and Harmony and R. Kelly. So R. Kelly wrote that awful Gotham City song. And I, I just wouldn't want to... I, I would not want to hear R. Kelly on a Batman soundtrack. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> um, the end is the beginning is... Which is Smashing Pumpkins was on there as well. Yeah, but if you, if, you look, if you look at like Forever, that has that U2 song, which was like the main one, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and, and how can we forget? No, See well, it. we don't forget. I was building up to it. I was saying like, whatever <laughs> happens in this alternate reality, like whatever this Batman movie is called, yeah. it, it has to have Kiss from Rose on there because... Of course it does, yeah. That would just be ridiculous. Yeah. But like, like I think a lot of these things would, would fl- uh, go over because you've got like... Uh, Offspring song, the the Method Man Riddler song. <laughs> You've got yeah. uh, the Flaming Lips, uh, Massive Attack on there. Like, what was that? I, that god awful U two song on the Batman Forever yeah, soundtrack. That's, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. The Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. That yeah, was like yeah, the yeah. main one. Yeah, after Kiss yeah. from a Rose. Yeah, Kiss from a Rose is is whatever happens. That's on there, even in this alternate universe where we got this instead, which would have been better because you know. But yeah, um, and then. I'm just. I'm looking at the Batman and Robin soundtrack. Revolution by REM. Lazy Eye by the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Mona by Underworld. Jeez. But yeah, like I can. I can fully. I, I fully want to see this realized. Like I. I want to be. Like, I would have been six in '94. No. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have been six in 94, right? So, no, seven. Seven. I'd have been seven. Yeah, because I was ten. Yeah, I'd have been seven in eight, in 94, yeah. Um, and I I just want to be that seven-year-old kid going to the cinema. Like, probably for a mate's birthday or something. Because that was the kind of thing... That was the kind of reason... That, that was the only time we used to go to the cinema. It's like, oh, it's, it's such and such's birthday. And his mum's going to take us all to the cinema for his birthday celebration cinema and mcdonald's and like it would that that was like the 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 standard birthday at that point it's like cinema and mcdonald's like what's on at the cinema and then like you know cinema and mcdonald's actually birthday party but like we would go we i want to go i want to be that kid i want to go to the cinema i want to smell that popcorn i want to go to the there was this cinema in, in in leicester i swear there used to be a bowling alley in there as well and like I want to smell that popcorn. I want to see those those Looney Tunes Space Jam cardboard cutouts. I want to, <laughs> I want to go and I want to watch this. I want to see Billy D. Williams become Two Face in front of me on the screen. And I want, you know, what I want to do. I want, I want to be living in the future after the reality where this happens and go into my mum's attic and find Billy D. Williams Two Face toy and <laughs> <laughs> be like, oh yeah, and then have this on Blu-ray or something. Because damn it. Damn it! Like, am I? I've got like, it's not. I don't. It's not FOMO. It's something else. What is it? What is it, Leon? <laughs> There's a German word for it. I'm sure <laughs> there probably is. If you know the German word for it, please, please tell us at us on Twitter or whatever. But you, yeah, I, I, oh, I can't get over this. I love this book. Like, this is the kind of thing that. I'm I'm all here for, and I'm sure there's people out there like um, that that will love Wonder Woman seventy seven for the same reasons, or will be into Superman seventy eight for the same reasons. But for me, this is this is this this is Batman eighty nine, and I I feel Leon, I, I feel you need to read it. 
You really do. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this off-cast. I bought yeah. it, and I was going to read it for this cast, but I had uh, I got ended up getting too busy just before well, the cast. Treat yourself to it tonight when we're done recording. <laughs> yeah, I'll, it's I'll give it a go. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, and I think that wraps us up this time for comics. That is this episode of Ace Comicals over and done. So that's Ace Comicals 117. Um, you can find us on Twitter under at Ace Comicals. You can find the hub for everything we do, www.acecomicals.com. Um, everything we do is on there. Um, most active social media wise on Twitter. So just hit us up on Twitter, DM us at us, whatever. You can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yeah, so that has been Ace Comicals episode 117. That is Ace Comicals over and out.